episode seven. Let's go to heaven or Vegas. I rather go to heaven so I can have heavenly thoughts. Wait a second. That's not the name of this episode. Yeah, episode seven is actually traveling while paleo. Woohoo! Are you heading out of town with your cave clan? How do you fuel yourself on the plane or in the car or when you reach your distant locale? We'll fill you in on how we find food at an airport, fuel ourselves on the plane, and how we eat once we arrive at our destination. So pack your bags and head out on the road with us. Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lil Lo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. All right, Michelle, tell us all about what you ate this week. Well, the most exciting part is probably when we were in Las Vegas, because we were eating all sorts of fun stuff in Vegas. So why were we in Vegas? Well, one of our good friends from college said, why don't we take our families to go see the Weird Al show? Because both of us have sons that are big fans of Weird Al. And I think, hmm, I'm not sure. We haven't been to Vegas in a while, and I'm not sure how kid-friendly it is. But then we thought, hey, I think this might be a fun trip, and we just decided to do it. We made sure that it was a complete surprise. We had this trip planned for weeks, and we kept it a secret from the kids until we were in an Uber car on the way to the airport. It was hard for me. I hate secrets. I hate keeping secrets. And I was ready to burst. I mean, every day I was, I was leaking things about our trip accidentally. Even in the car, the kids were still trying to guess our destination. We're in the same California, right? Because we've been to San Diego before, like twice. You guys heard of Fresno? We're going to Fresno? We could drive to Fresno. We could. In like an hour. You know that's not Tommy, we're, we're going to Fresno? We're not going to Fresno. We've been to Fresno once, right? No, I think I think we like passed Fresno once. In retrospect, I don't know that Vegas is the most kid-friendly place to take a family vacation, but I think we did pretty well for our short weekend that we were there. You want to see what the kids thought about the trip? Sure. Okay, boys, take it away. Owen, what did you think about Las Vegas? I thought it was pretty cool. How was the casino? The casinos were awesome. I wish kids could be in the casinos and you wouldn't bid any money for it, but... Yeah, the casinos always win. They always get the money. The casinos never let you win. No, we saw a guy win. Who? That guy. I I never saw a guy who won. What did you think about walking around the Las Vegas Strip? It was pretty cool. There's lots of casinos and there are people who like dressed up like Mickey Mouse. And we even saw Spider-Man, and he held up his hand for a high five, but the hand was all gross and messed up. No, it was like, you could see his like fingernails, they were all like gross and dirty. Like, the costume was all stained. Like, like the eyes were used to be white, I think, and now they're like yellowish brown. <laughs> it was so gross. So that's your impression of Las Vegas? Yeah. No, that's my impression of the strip. 
the people. It just it just smelled like cigarettes the whole time. Yeah, that's why I heard some people fart. <laughs> what? I can't. I did. So, what did you guys think about the food? It was awesome. In comparison to the casinos, the food was awesome. What was your favorite places to eat? One of my favorite places to eat was Bouchon. Uh, Bouchon is like a Thomas Keller restaurant that is French inspired. We ate steak and eggs and lots of other good stuff. The thing with our table is, is a lot of people at our table had uh, food allergies and they accommodated us all. Some of us had gluten allergies, some had egg allergies, some had nut allergies. Yeah, and they could totally accommodate you no matter what you got. My favorite restaurant in Vegas was B&B Restaurante. Or basically any restaurant by B&B. Who is B&B? Batali and Bastianish. B&B. Who are those people? They have good restaurants. What was your favorite thing to eat there? At B&B Restaurante or B&B Burger? Both. Uh, at B&B Burger, I really like the burgers. And at B&B Restaurante, I really like the steak. At B&B Restaurante, I really liked the the seafood options because they had really good branzino <laughs> and I had octopus for the first time and it was really chewy. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. I would never like that. I only eat land animals. You don't eat bugs? You don't eat humans? Uh, well, bugs fly and humans, they're not edible. To wrap up, what was your favorite thing about Las Vegas? Food. The strip. Hanging out with my parents. Mom getting me macaroons. You can't say that. Yes, I can. It's going free. All right, we're done. High five. That's not a high five. Just clapping. You didn't even touch me. You're so far away from me. Special effects, okay? Stop clapping. Woo. This is not a movie, okay? The main course. Do you have the travel bug? If so, we've got tips and tricks for how you can stay paleo on the road. We love to travel as a family, and we prioritize it over spending money on material things. My favorite thing in the whole wide world is to travel and try regional cuisine, and so that's what I drag everybody else to do with me. In this episode, we will tell you how I scope out paleo eats when we're out in the wild. Or in various cities. Mostly cities. (laughs) (laughs) So, Michelle, as you're getting ready for a trip, what do you pack? It all depends on the length of the flight and what our final destination is going to be. If it's a short flight, I might bring like a packet of jerky or some salami or kind of snacky things that I already have in my backpack. I don't know if you know this, but the kids know this. I have emergency snacks in my bag at all times. So even on a short car ride, if something happens and people are hungry, I can break something out. That's basically the same thing I pack on a short flight, just non-perishables that we can grab and eat. That's where you and I are different. I've taken a good number of business trips over the years, and if it's a short flight, I typically pack nothing. Well, good for you. Well, my, my, <laughs> my thought is if it's a short flight, if it's a flight for you know three or four hours, typically speaking, I can get through that trip with just some water without having to eat. Um, jerky or nuts or seaweed or snack bars or anything. And then I'll just wait to get to my destination to eat. Well, you know what I found is even though I pack these things, I don't actually eat them. Like I think it's it's just kind of insurance for me just in case I get hungry. And it might just be residual. It's just me remembering how I used to get hungry all the time. And so I feel like I have to have these things in my bag. 
But if you actually go in my bag, a lot of those things have been in there for months. And that's why most of the time the kids don't want to eat it because it's, it's in... It's stale. It's stale or things <laughs> have just been crumpled and crinkled and they're just not... The packaging is no longer attractive and they don't want to eat it. But at least I'll say, hey, I've got this in case you're hungry. And then they never seem that hungry <laughs> to want to eat it. Here is this melted mass of dark chocolate. It's this big brown clump. Here you go. It's still edible. I'm sure it is. Yeah. So if you really are hungry, you can eat it. Also, depending on what our final places that we're going to stay, if we're staying in a condo or a place that has a kitchen, I might actually bring a little travel pack of condiments because I know we'll probably cook a few meals and I like to have some things on me so I don't have to buy a full size container of sea salt or, or whatever else at the local market. I have these little travel size red fish sauces that I wrap really well because I don't want them exploding in my luggage. And then I have little things of salt that I bring. Um, I even have a travel size olive oil. Oh, sometimes I bring those little mini Tabasco sauces. And then sometimes I'll even have a little container of my magic mushroom powder. You probably don't even know this, but I, I do do this. <laughs> I don't notice that at all. Wow, really? Like when I make breakfast, you don't... Wow, there's a lot of things you don't notice. I guess not. That's yeah. so funny because... For instance, when we were in Florida these past holidays, I don't remember well, seeing little bottles. Sometimes I don't remember, but I try to remember to bring them. Especially if we're going if we're going somewhere where I know for sure there's a condo situation, I will bring my little condiment pack. I know that when we were in Texas last month, you did bring a lot of red boat fish salt. Well, we were also giving it away. We were giving it away at Paleo FX, but we did use one in our house to cook with. Which was good because I think that was the only condiment we had. Mm -hmm. And that is like a magical one. So that's the only one you really need to bring. You just need something that will make everything taste better. And we should reemphasize the importance of wrapping your fish sauce really, really, really really well. Yeah, if that thing leaks or explodes in your luggage, you just have to torch it. There's no coming back from that. Not really. Unless you want to smell like fermented anchovies for the rest of your trip. That doesn't smell good. Okay, let's get back to what to pack on flights. We talked about shorter flights. What about longer flights? I actually think it's pretty similar to the things I just mentioned, except I will pack more of it. So I'll pack more jerky, more nuts, more salami. It's not so much that you need variety, you just need more of it. Let's say you're at the airport now. What do you eat? It depends on the airport, because sometimes I won't eat anything. Some airports, there is nothing for you to buy. Who says you really have to eat anything at the airport? Again, for me, if it's a short trip, maybe I just don't eat anything at all. I'll die of dehydration before I really have to eat. So what's more important to me is to get some water to drink and then I just wait it out. Yeah, there are times when you're stranded at the airport. In those cases, I think you can always find nuts and you can always find those kind bars. I mean, they're not perfectly paleo, but at least they're gluten-free. There's packed salads too. They usually come with a little container of dressing, which might not be made with the best oils, but you can always just get some vinegar and olive oil to go along with it. Or I don't even put the dressing on it. If you have the option to add avocado, I'll just have them add avocado. And you can normally ask for some lemons. And then that's all I put on my, my salads. We'll often be at an airport and you're furiously typing into your phone. And I think what you're doing is looking for reviews on the different places. I always do that. If we are stuck in an airport... I will definitely do a Yelp search to see if there's a place that we can eat in the airport. Because even though airports used to be a desert for good food, 
There are some airports now that actually have good food options. It's always funny when I see you picking airlines based on which terminals they fly out of. I do like flying Virgin America because they fly in and out of Terminal 2 at SFO. Terminal 2 at SFO has some really great food options. Like? If you actually want a sit-down place, I think Lark Creek Grill isn't bad. The prices are pretty good. Everything is locally sourced. You can eat gluten-free. I've had breakfast and dinner there, and I think there are lots of really great options. Another great option is the plant organic, and I normally pick up a Cobb salad because that is chock full of eggs and avocado. There is blue cheese that I don't eat, and it's on the side. The dressing does have canola oil, so I don't put that on, but there's always a ton of avocado, so I'm pretty full when I eat that. Another good option is Napa Farm Organics, and there's all sorts of stuff that you can get in there and a lot of local artisanal products. And that's a grab-and-go place, right? Mm -hmm. It's a grab-and-go place, and I know Tyler Florence has a rotisserie in there. You can get half a chicken, because I think you can get like half a chicken or whole chicken and roasted vegetables, and that would be a great option if we had a flight like at noon, but we never seem to have that flight. So we've covered SFO, but what are some options at other airports? I know the Denver airport has a route down. What is a route down? Route down is a restaurant I ate at in Denver. I went there with Julie Bauer on her recommendation, and it was really good. It was locally sourced foods, and it was really delicious. Everything was clearly labeled as being gluten-free. And I think that their restaurant in the airport is the same way. Also at the Austin airport, They have made a concerted effort to make sure all the offerings are from local purveyors. And so you can actually go there and get the salt lick without driving way out into the boonies to get barbecue. Awesome. Any other recommendations? Mm -hmm. Not off the top of my head, but I know that there's an article I read, I think in the Washington Post, that lists all of these great restaurants in a bunch of airports around the world. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Let's say you actually didn't have time to stop and get something at the airport. And I didn't pack anything. And you didn't pack anything. So worst case scenario, you have an empty belly and you're running onto the plane. What do you eat? Depending on the airline, you may have some options that you can buy. And they're not super expensive. I think they purposely price their little snack boxes to be less than $10. I found that most places have at least some kind of gluten-free options. Like I know on Virgin America, you can get gluten-free snack packs. I know they have Hail Mary nuts and macaroons. They also have jerky. And so if it's not a super long flight and I'm super hungry, I may buy one of those snacks. Maybe I'm just cheap, but I typically don't buy anything when I'm on airlines. Yeah, there's no reason to. If you can if you can wait it out and you aren't hungry, there is no reason to eat anything on the plane. Unless it's an international flight, I pretty much try not to eat anything. Right. And on an international flight, you really shouldn't special order any of those gluten-free meals or any of those other Special options. meals. Yeah, because I remember when we were flying to Asia, I was like, oh, I'm going to get the gluten-free meal and I'm going to try it out. And it turned out, I think they lumped together like gluten-free and vegan. Sodium-free. Sodium-free into the same meal. So I ended up with rice cakes and rice cakes. Owen had some sort of beef stew with rice. And so it was, I think, naturally gluten-free, whatever the standard meal was. And so I just learned my lesson. I'll just get the standard meal, maybe have some snacks on the side and then see what I can eat. But do not get the gluten-free meal because it was gross. 
Unless you're celiac, of course. If you have some serious food allergies, you should definitely opt for the specialized meal. But otherwise, what you're getting is a tasteless plate of... Rice crackers. Yeah, I think it was just rice crackers and then... Rice crackers. Yeah. No, it was like rice crackers with some sort of heart-healthy spread. I remember that. I was like, what is this? I was really upset. But I think the take-home message is you should just pack your own stuff. Always have a pack of jerky or a can of salmon in your bag. I'm guessing that if you're flying business class or first class, there's better gluten-free options, but I don't know. I don't know. We've never flown business or first class. We're always coach all the way. Because we're cheap. We're frugal. Big difference. That's right. All right, let's talk about drinks. In the middle of the flight, the drink card always comes rolling down the aisle. It's time for you to decide what to order. Oh, that's easy. I always get water or sparkling water, no ice. Why no ice? I've read a lot of bad things about the ice on a plane. (laughs) I've heard that ice can be contaminated on the airplane. I don't know if that's true. But one image that has been burned in my mind was one time we had a seat by the restroom and the flight attendant was cracking the ice right in the sink of the bathroom. And I just didn't think that was the cleanest place to do it. She was using an ice pick to do this? Something. But I just was like, I don't know if I want that ice. (laughs) And (laughs) And plus you get more beverage or more water in my case if you ask for no ice. Yeah, I'm sure that restrooms on airplanes are a source of a lot of disease. I remember in one of my food microbiology classes, we were talking about this journal article where they were trying to figure out how this football team got sick. They deduced that the source of everybody's GI distress was the contaminated faucet on the airplane that they flew in. If you've noticed the restroom faucets on an airplane, you have to press down to actually let the water go. And even if it's one where you press down and the water goes for like a few seconds, it's never long enough for you to rinse off the soap from your hands. So then you have to touch it again, or then you have to touch the handle of the door. And so I think they said that there's all sorts of contamination, especially because it's such a small space. And when you flush the toilet, stuff aerosolizes. Okay. I don't uh, know. <laughs> for a food podcast, this is starting to get really, really, really gross. I'm sorry, but these are things to think about. And all right. I'll think about them later. So just don't order the ice. (laughs) What's my PSA? All right. Let's say you make it to your destination without food poisoning and without starving to death. How do you stock up for your vacation once you arrive? Normally we get a rental car and then I will search for the closest grocery store. And then we will hit the grocery store before we get to our hotel or our condo. You don't even have to cook. There are plenty of no-cook options that Mm -hmm. you can get at the grocery store to just fill you up in the morning so that you don't feel like you have to spend $20, $30, $40, $50 on breakfast every time you're on vacation. Right. Before you arrive, you can call your hotel and ask for an empty refrigerator because they will provide you with one. In a lot of hotel rooms, it'll come with a refrigerator, but it's stocked full of soda and alcohol and snacks. And this way, you can ask for an empty refrigerator so you don't have all those temptations. And I think most hotels will provide you with one because some people need it for medications or for breast milk or or whatever the situation. Or in our case, just food. 
Yeah. So on the way from the airport, we'll usually find a grocery store to stock up on supplies like breakfast items, eggs, sausage, butter, vegetables, and fruit. And that's assuming we can cook where we're staying. Otherwise, I might splurge on just some pre-cut fruit and veggies that we can snack on or other things that we can grab and go. Like that's when I will get some deli meats or some salami, nuts. And you get pre-cut fruit and vegetables, you said, because... Oftentimes at hotels, you're not going to have the kitchen knives that you need to break open a pineapple or a watermelon. Yeah. And even though pre-cut fruits and veggies may be more expensive, it's less expensive than going out to eat. Or buying a set of knives before you get to your hotel room. Right. And then a lot of times you just have nowhere to wash those things. So this pre-cut stuff enables you to eat the stuff without making a big mess. Well, you can always use the bathtub. But not every hotel room has a bathtub. I only stay in hotel rooms with bathtubs. That is not true because I've stayed with you. (laughs) Okay, Michelle, I've never done this myself, but I have seen books and videos online and magazine articles about cooking things in hotel rooms using appliances like coffee makers and clothes irons and other... Yeah, apparently you can cook all sorts of stuff with these gadgets that come in your hotel room. So people boil eggs in their coffee maker... I've seen people scramble eggs in their microwave. They will use their iron to make, I mean, we don't eat these, but like grilled cheese sandwiches (laughs) and things that I think you would use a panini maker for, they will use an iron to cook with. That just seems like a lot of work. I bet the housekeeping staff in the hotels pretty much hate anybody who does this. No, I agree. I mean, so we we don't normally do that. I mean, we'll try to find grab and go things. I may try boiling some eggs in the coffee maker, but I I don't know if it gets hot enough because it's not boiling water. Maybe they're all kind of soft cooked eggs. I'll leave that to you. There are a bunch of articles where you can find out how to hack food in your hotel room. So I'll find a good one and we'll put it in the show notes. How come we've never tried any of these things? Well, because we don't really stay in hotel rooms anymore just because we're traveling with our two kids and and getting hotel rooms is pretty expensive. So most of the time we will stay in an Airbnb or some sort of vacation rental or we stay in like one of those residence inns where they have kitchens and space. Yeah, I found renting houses is the way to go. There's a lot of room for the kids to run around. We usually get a full kitchen too, which is key because instead of having to deal with a cramped galley kitchen, we have have some room to spread out. And we don't bother the other hotel guests. Our kids can be as loud as they want to be. Sometimes there's even a pool. Yeah. So I definitely think Airbnb or VRBO or any of those options are a great place to look for a vacation rental. Especially when it comes to the food stuff. Yep. Of course, part of the joy of traveling is eating out because I like to find the best local cuisine. You've always been a gastro tourist. Yeah, I will drag you guys to all sorts of places because I want to try the food there. A lot of families will travel to destinations because they want to see the sights or learn about the history of a country or a region. We typically travel because Michelle has identified a couple of restaurants or markets that she wants to hit. That's not entirely true. I (laughs) I think you will suggest a place like, oh, I'd like to travel to this place because I would like to learn about the history or see the museums, blah, blah, blah. And I will look and say, hmm... Can I eat something good there? If the answer is yes, okay, let's book a family vacation there. 
And then instead of actually going to a museum or seeing the sites, we'll prioritize finding the best. That's not true. You are in charge of finding the sites you want us to see. And then I will find restaurants right around there (laughs) that we can try. Or I will steer you towards those restaurants and say, isn't there a great museum in this part of wherever we want to go? And what if I said no? We would still find a way to eat at those places I want to eat at. (laughs) That's what I thought. So what are some of the resources you consult with before you travel to determine where we're going to eat? Well, I think books are always out of date. So I don't... Travel books, you mean? Yes. Travel books are always out of date because by the time that it gets published, it's at least a year out. So I definitely like to look at local newspapers, local magazines to see their top lists of restaurants or their top cuisines. And then... After I've kind of looked at their top places to eat, then I'll narrow in and go to Yelp or TripAdvisor where I can find the most recent reviews. And then within those places, I will see if you can eat gluten-free because within Yelp for a certain restaurant, you can always search for gluten-free. And if there are at least a few people who have mentioned that they've been able to eat gluten-free at a restaurant, then I'm like, oh, that's probably a good option. I will also ask my readers for paleo-friendly recommendations or gluten-free friendly recommendations in places. Um, And I do that on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And from that, I narrow it down to a handful of choices that you guys can choose from. What I love is when the list I have meshes with the recommendations I get from readers, because then that confirms that this is a great place where we can try out. That's a lot of work. It is, but I definitely don't want to waste a meal when I'm on vacation. That's true. You're already spending a lot of money to get to a destination. So why eat anything less than great? Exactly. I mean, of course, there's no guarantee that after all this research, your meal is fantastic, but your chances are better than if you just wander into a place. Michelle, I'm sure that most people are also wondering whether you eat perfectly paleo when we're on vacation. I don't eat perfectly paleo, but I definitely try to steer gluten-free Just because I know for myself and for our younger son, we have gut issues when we eat gluten. I choose not to eat things that'll make me feel bad because I want to enjoy the rest of my vacation. Eating gluten-free while on vacation has gotten a lot easier in the past few years, too. Definitely. There are lots of resources where you can find gluten-free eats wherever you are worldwide. You mentioned Yelp. There are apps that are available that can help steer you in the right direction. TripAdvisor. There are lots of gluten-free bloggers and you can just Google And there's probably someone who has written about the area that you want to visit and they've had to eat gluten-free. I mean, that's why we post stuff so people can see where we've eaten gluten-free and where we've been able to eat tasty food. You don't even have to go anywhere really foreign or exotic. Even going to Disneyland or Disney World, you can eat gluten-free really easily. And there are guides that our friends Danielle Walker and Russ Crandall have written and posted online about how to successfully navigate theme parks while remaining gluten-free. Yeah, and we have used those resources. Just last Christmas, we were at Disney World, and I had no issues at all eating. So in conclusion, you should go travel with your family because you can totally have a fantastic time and make fantastic memories and eat really well. Crush of the week. Welcome back to Crush of the Week. Ollie, what's your crush of the week? Uh, the Weird Al concert that we went to in Vegas. Who exactly is Weird Al? Um, he's a great artist, 
And he plays the accordion. Artist as in like he paints pictures or? Um, like artists and like music. What type of songs does he do? He does like polka songs and parodies. What was your favorite song that you saw him do? I like Eat It, which is a parody of Beat It by Michael Jackson. At the end, he always does Star Wars songs. What was your favorite Star Wars song? Uh, it's called The Saga Begins. It's about Darth Vader as a small fry. What's a small fry? You eat it. Like a french fry, you eat it. Oh, and what was your favorite part of the Weird Al concert? When he performed Like a Surgeon with acoustic guitars and stuff. Okay. Do you know what acoustic means, Ollie? No. What do you think it means? I don't know. I'm only seven years old. Owen and I share a crush of the week. What is it, Owen? Cherries! Woo! Yeah, I love cherries. I hate cherries! Ollie doesn't like anything. I only like cherry juice. When have we ever had cherry juice? Okay, we've never had it, but I think about it. Well, cherries are Owen and my all-time favorite fruit because they signify the beginning of stone fruit season. What's your favorite kind of cherry, Owen? My favorite kind of cherries are Bing cherries. Me too. I love them because they're firm and sweet and kind of tangy. I like the sweeter part rather than the tangy part. (laughs) Did you know that the Bing cherry was named after a Chinese guy? I think I remember. Yeah, so we learned that fact a few years ago when the three of us, me, you, and Ollie, went to the C.J. Olson's Cherry Farms. Do you remember? Like, Uh, I think we got to try cherries, and then we walked over to see their cherry orchards. Those cherry orchards were really cool. So C.J. Olson's is a famous fruit stand down in Silicon Valley, and it's been there for many, many years, even when I was a little kid. It's so famous that Martha Stewart gets her cherries from C.J. Olson's. Wait, so she goes from the East Coast to the West Coast to get cherries? I think so, or they ship them to her. I remember Popo used to drive with me 30 minutes to buy cherries every year. Why did it take 30 minutes? Because Sunnyvale is 10 minutes away. Well, my mom is good at many things, but driving on the freeway isn't one of them. So we would have to take the El Camino, which is just a stretch of road from, I think, San Francisco, pretty far down south, but it's stop and go because there are stoplights. And so we would just slowly drive our way down at the end of May to get some big cherries. She must have really loved cherries. I think that's where we get it. That's probably why the two of us love cherries so much. It's in our blood. Wow. Do you know how to store cherries? Isn't it like similar to strawberries? It's exactly similar to strawberries. So how do you find them in the fridge when I buy them and put them away? You have like a paper towel, then you have like cherries on it, then you put another layer of paper towel. Then you put more cherries on it and then another layer of paper towel. Yes, in a sealed container. So it's not like it's on a shelf in the refrigerator, just paper towel, cherries, paper towel, cherries, because then that would just become a cherry avalanche when you open the door, right? You know, it would be kind of cool to see cherries spilling out of the fridge every time I opened it, right? Or a nightmare. I bet your dad would freak out if that happened. I bet he would. And I would freak out because cherries are not cheap and they're only in season for just a few weeks. So if a bunch of our cherries just fell on the ground, I would be pissed. A few weeks? Yeah, it is only for a few weeks. The cherry season locally is only for a few weeks. You can get cherries later in the summer, but those are normally from the Pacific Northwest and they don't taste as good. Yeah, that's what I was about to say because they taste so much better when it's early in the summer. I agree. 
So a great recipe to make now that cherries are in season is our smashed steak skewers with cherry barbecue sauce. Cool. Let's try to make it this week. Sure. We got to get as many cherries as we can because the season is over quick. Locally, cherries are only available at the end of May through the first few weeks of June. So you really have to snatch them up as soon as you see them at the farmer's market. We better go. That's right. Question of the week. This week's question comes from a reader named Rebecca, who asks Michelle via email, is it possible to eat paleo at a dim sum place? As a Chinese American, that is the one meal or cuisine that I love more than anything else. Can you help me maneuver through the different choices? Wow, that's a tough one because I hate dim sum. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really, really hard to eat paleo when you're going out for dim sum. And for those of you who don't know what dim sum is, it's a style of Cantonese food prepared as small, bite-sized, or individual portions of food that's traditionally served in a small steamer basket or on small plates. Dim sum is also known for the unique way it's served in many restaurants. Everything is fully cooked and they push them around in these carts. And then customers will actually check out what's on the carts. They'll point to the dishes that they want and the server will pick them up, put them on the plate and mark a little receipt on the tabletop so that at the end of the meal, all of the dishes can be tallied up. Eating dim sum at a restaurant is usually known in Cantonese as going to drink tea or yum ta. And we used to do this almost every weekend. It's essentially what Chinese people eat for brunch. The tea drinking part is actually pretty significant. I know that my parents would say, hey, I know that a lot of the dishes in dim sum are a little bit greasy, but if you just drink some tea with it, that'll all get washed away. Yeah, because it cuts the grease. Somehow. So I think I just am biased against dim sum because I was forced to eat it every weekend as a kid. And when I was a kid, the dim sum available in San Francisco was not very good. So I've just had it ingrained in my head that it's just gross. I was forced to go every weekend. So I have really bad associations with dim sum. Post-traumatic dim sum syndrome or something. I do. And so I never crave it and I never want it. But we still go, you know, once in a while um, with our families. Our families really, really dig dim sum. And so for a lot of different gatherings, we'll get together and head to a Chinese tea house to have dim sum because it's a pretty economical way to feed a large Chinese family. And you get food instantly. So as soon as you're seated, people will come around with carts and you can just point to things you want and then bam, you have food right on the table right away. And some of us don't hate dim sum quite as much as Michelle does. Well, I think everybody. In fact, (laughs) anybody I ever talk to, they're like, don't you miss dim sum? I'm like, nope. But everyone else does apparently. Our kids love it too. Yeah, as does Rebecca, this reader. But in all honesty, it's really hard to eat paleo dim sum because almost everything has wheat in it. Or it's wrapped in some sort of, you know, wheat-based wrapper. Lots of the oils and the sauces have undesirable ingredients. There are some rice wrappers that are used and rice noodles that are used in some dishes. But it's kind of difficult, wouldn't you say, Michelle, to get it without any gluten because soy sauce is often used as a condiment. I know that when your parents take the kids to eat dim sum, 
because Ollie does have a gluten sensitivity, they do bring their own bottle of coconut aminos with them. And they'll ask for like the rice noodles with nothing and they will pour the coconut aminos instead of the soy sauce. So if you have celiac or if you have some real issues with gluten, I would say that it's probably super, super difficult to make dim sum work for you. Right. I did some online research to see if there were any places where you could get gluten-free dim sum. And I did find that there is a place in New York City called Nom Wa, which I've never been to, but it does say that they label their dim sum items as gluten-free. And a lot of people with celiac have said they've been able to eat there without any issues. But back to Rebecca's question about whether it's possible to eat paleo dim sum, I'm not really sure that that exists. I don't think so. But if it's something you love to eat, just make a mindful choice of it and say, I want to eat this. I'm going to enjoy it. And it better be good. If it's something that you really, really love and it's worth it to you and it's not going to screw you up totally, then don't even worry if it's paleo or not. Yeah, I totally agree. For me, this whole paleo lifestyle and this whole journey that we've been on is finally being mindful of how food affects us and making conscious choices of what to put in my mouth. Finding paleo is like being given a compass for the first time. It's a compass that points to true north, but it doesn't mean that every step you take along your journey is going to be pointed north. You might take a detour here and there. You might want to take a detour because it's valuable. You get to another destination that you really want to get at. There's something delicious that you really want to try, and that's fine. After you've taken that detour, you reorient yourself back in the right direction. That's all that matters. Yeah, I think a lot of people worry so much about the paleo label and whether or not something is perfectly paleo. But rather than thinking about it that way, you should think about just how it works for you. And if dim sum is worth it to you, I think you should totally go for it. Totally. But not with me. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not with Michelle. So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Proletaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us again next week for more Nom Nom Paleo podcast. Ciao for now.